we have to look at this in a broader historical perspective. And that is that since 1948 or 49, when after the war, after the War of Independence, the United Nations, uh, through as, as a means really of, of compensating and showing support for what were then called what was then called the Arab side, they weren't called Palestinians. They set up this organization, UN organization called UNRWA, a Refugee Relief Works Agency, and they have a budget now that had an increasing budget after 75 years of over a billion dollars a year. Plus, there are a total of 13 UN agencies. It's not just UNRWA, and then there are dozens of NGOs that are doing the same thing, that are working in the same context. And so this idea that Palestinians in Gaza have to be supported by humanitarian aid that is totally dependent is something that has caused a great deal of damage. And that's something that has to be considered in this broader context. But that was in a normal time. And now we're in a time of war where you have over 1.9 million Gazans have been displaced from their houses. And, uh, and I think even though Israel doesn't want to help the enemy, I mean, uh, for expedient reasons, America's pushing Israel to have these people fed. There's a short-term issue, that's a short-term issue, and then there's a longer term. Mm -hmm. And for the immediate time of the war, for a few more months, yes, there has to be emergency aid that has to flow in. They're doing a terrible job. The UN is not taking any responsibility of preventing and getting in the hands of Hamas, just as it took no responsibility over the previous uh, decades. So that has to be changed. But yes, the aid has to continue, but it also has to be Mm time-limited. We'll do this, Israel will allow it, up until, let's say, six months or a year from now, get the, uh, all the refugees, all the people who've been displaced over the winter, but then we have to see the building of an, a functioning economy. Mm. The aid has to be gradually phased out, and economic independence has to develop, jobs have to be built. Because as long as the aid was just flowing openly into Gaza, Hamas could do whatever it wanted. It could use all the money that it could get its hands on, all the materials, to build this huge tunnel complex, which... Nobody outside of, of the, the immediate area understands how much money was invested in that. Tens of thousands of missiles. This large army was all basically funded by humanitarian aid, and that's got to stop. You talk about the sort of like the, the coming period, the next, the day after, and uh, the U.S. Secretary of State Blinken is back in the Middle East. He's in Amman today. He's talking with King Abdallah, and they're both trying to. Uh, to, they're both talking about the importance of a two-state solution in the future and also trying to generate more aid to come from Arab countries in the region to help with the Palestinians. Um, have you ever heard of Palestinians talk about a two-state solution? No, I think that's a critical point. No Palestinian leader has ever said they want a two-state solution with Israel, Zionist Jewish state, and Palestinian Arab state living side by side in peace. That's not at all part of the uh, Palestinian leadership, not Mahmoud Abbas, the so-called peace partner from Fatah, and of course nobody from Hamas. I think Blinken knows enough, knows that this is not a real option. But they're so deeply committed to that language. It's virtue signaling. It's something they, they feel like they have to use. I think the, Jordan, the Jordanians don't want a Palestinian state. They've never wanted a Palestinian state. Really? I thought that, that would that, prevent them from becoming the Palestinian state. But it's also direct threat. A Palestinian state on the West Bank would threaten what is really a very, very thin base of support in Jordan for the Hashemite kingdom. And since really since the Palestinians, since Arafat in 1970, Black September, tried to take over Jordan, the Jordan uh, leadership, the first King uh, Hussein and now his son, King Abdullah, are very nervous about 
Palestinian sovereignty mm-hmm. and independence. So the people use the language. People like uh, Secretary of State of Lincoln and, of course, President Biden. That is the official policy. But they have no real roadmap. They don't know how to get there. And that's the big problem is we really don't have nobody has a good post-war solution. We're going to have to muddle through. And that's that's not good. But it's better than a, a, the, the image, the facade, the mirage of some sort of magical two-state formula. Mm-hmm. Now, King Abdallah himself has been to Egypt almost, I think, three or four times since the war began to talk with the president al-Sisi about not removing the Palestinians from their homeland. They're petrified that they're going to be pushed into either the Sinai or maybe make their way into Jordan itself for these reasons that you mentioned, right? Yes, that's that's a major part of it. The Egyptians are also, on their side, are, are very uh, careful, Very to them, the land, the territory, that is, Egypt is very important. We saw it in the peace treaty negotiations with uh, Prime Minister Begin and the, the treaty that was signed in 1979. They, Sadat insisted that every grain of sand that was Egyptian before 67 be returned. They don't want any foreigners, and Palestinians for them are foreigners, coming into their territory. And the same thing is true for Jordan, which already has a 60% uh, roughly Palestinian population. So they are nervous about instabilities to their own regimes, their own power that could be caused by the Gaza conflict. They want to see it ended as well. And that in some ways could work to Israel's advantage. Forget about the rhetoric, but look at the interest that they're, that they're really pursuing here. 